It is definitely good to be with you uh, this morning to be able to bring you the reading and the preaching of God's Word. Uh, I ask if you would please open your Bibles to Psalm 54, Psalm 54, as uh, we look uh, at this Psalm of David this morning, Psalm 54. And we'll read the Psalm in its entirety, but it's just a seven uh, number of, uh, just seven brief verses. And I'll also, for the sake of context, just draw your attention to uh, the title to the choir master with stringed instruments, a mascal of David, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? So with that in mind, let's uh, give attention to the reading of God's word, Psalm 54, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of God. O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Behold, God is my helper, the Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return to evil to my, the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness put an end to them. With a free will offering I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies." May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Let's uh, bow together in a brief word of prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we are grateful that you are mighty and sovereign, that you have ordained whatsoever comes to pass. And in your sovereign decree, before the creation of the world, you saw it fit to will that we would be here in your presence. And so for this, we are grateful. We pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would... uh, plow the fallow ground of our hearts, that you would help us to see where we fall short, that we would look to Christ as the only means of satisfying the demands of your law, that you would comfort and assure us of your grace and mercy and love, and that you would comfort us, O Lord, as we find ourselves in trial. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. November uh, is a time of year, I think, when people start to give thought perhaps to counting the blessings in their lives, perhaps if only because it's typically the th- season of Thanksgiving. I know that it's that season because the, uh, the pillows in my house have changed colors. Uh, they've gone from nice summer colors to the, the, the bronze and gold and browns. But when I was a child, I could remember sitting at the Thanksgiving dinner table with my plate, you know, just stacked high. You know how that usually goes. And I was eager for us to say the family prayer, uh, but um, at least from my limited youthful eyes, uh, unfortunately, uh, my mom would say, all right, let's, before we pray, each of us go around the table and give thanks for something that the Lord has blessed us with this year. I wanted to say, can we do that while we're eating? Uh, You know, that would just be wonderful. Uh, Nevertheless, we would go around the table and uh, each one of us would give thanks, I think, for the things that you would expect, Uh, you know, things like family, things like health, things like jobs, friends, and as a young child, toys, etc. And so I think that my family and all of us, uh, we would give thanks for what we might call good things. And I think that's perfectly understandable. But yet, I wonder how many of us, if we were to be seated around a table, would have to think about those good things. How many of us, however, would give thanks for what we might consider are the bad things? 
the, the tough things in life. Uh, this is something that's been on the forefront of my mind where a number of weeks ago where I was coming off of a, uh, a toe procedure gone awry, uh, where I had uh, a MRSA infection and I was in terrible, terrible pain. In fact, uh, I told my wife that I thought it was worse than the pain of childbirth. Uh, in the love of the Lord, she socked me in the arm uh, and said, no, I don't think so. So I, I retracted my, my claim. Uh, but I, I just, it was terrible. And uh, I was sitting there in the car one afternoon going to the school to, to pick up one of my children. And I happened to bump into somebody from church. And he said, oh, what are you, what are you doing here? It's not, you know, often what I see you. And I explained the situation. And he went into a story as to how uh, he had a, a difficult time on a trip and that one of his ne- uh, nephews asked him, well, have you, have you given thanks to the Lord for all of these troubles? And so he told me that story, and I, I thought that what he was doing is in a very nice and kind and gentle way, he was challenging me to say, have you given thanks for all of this pain? And it's something that uh, for the last several weeks has been in the back of my mind. And, uh, you know, I had two separate illnesses this month. One was the toe. That got resolved. And now, you know, uh, I tested negative for COVID three times, negative for the flu, negative for strep, but I still, I've got something. And uh, as I've been awake, uh, sleepless for several nights sometimes because of just interminable coughing, um, as I was coughing interminably, I'd say, okay, Lord, I don't know what purpose all of this is serving, but I'm going to try to give you thanks for it. It was a struggle, and it still is. You know, because there's a sense in which we can give thanks if we see a purpose in something. Oh, okay. I see, Lord. I I had to suffer this because you were preparing me for that. But what happens when you're not quite sure? I think this is something, the, the situation where we find David, where in the midst of his trial, he gives thanks to the Lord. I think this is a message that all of us need to hear. And in this particular case, what happens is that Psalm 54 connects David's trials, particularly to the betrayal that he faced when he was in the presence of the Ziphites, and they betrayed his presence to Saul. And I think understandably, expectedly, David cries out to to, to God in prayer in the midst of his trial. But I think unexpectedly, at least from my perspective, to be all, uh, if I'm honest with you, is that he gives voice to words of thanksgiving in the midst of his trial. How many of us can say and do that? Or in the midst of that difficult illness, we say, thank you, Lord, for this illness. In the midst of the financial struggles, we can say, thank you, Lord, for these struggles. Uh, in the midst of conflict, we can say thank you, Lord, for these conflicts. This is not to say that we're sadomasochists and we're, we enjoy the pain, we enjoy the discomfort, we enjoy the conflict. But one of the things that has also pressed upon my mind these last several months, but especially this month, 
as I described it to, to somebody the other day as saying, I don't feel as if I have life by the tail, but that life has me by the tail and is swinging me around. I've had to, you know, change plans. I've spent much more time in bed than I've wanted to. It's just been a a, a challenging month. And the whole time, I try to remind myself of two things. One, God willing, these things are temporary. They're not going to last forever. And I remind myself that for some, these types of challenges are practically full-time. But then secondly, I try to remind myself of this difficult truth, but it's nevertheless an important one, is that however much I may think that I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time, that this is exactly where the Lord wants me in his sovereign providence. He's like, I got you right where I want you. Precisely where I want you. And so this is where God had David precisely where he wanted. And so we want to ask this question at the end of the day. I think we should say, how on earth could David, in the midst of this trial, give thanks? And it's a question that we ourselves should ask ourselves. You know, how often can we say with the Apostle Paul, I have learned to be content whether in times of plenty or in times of want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which means in those times of trial, that we can say, thank you, Lord. So let's give thought to that. And first, I want us to look at the betrayal uh, that David faced. Then secondly, the prayer uh, that he uttered unto God. And then third and finally, to look at that thanksgiving that he utters in the midst of this difficult circumstance. So let's, let's first give thought to the betrayal. Alexander Solzhenitsyn recounts the horrors of the Russian gulags in his massive three-volume work, The Gulag Archipelago. And in one of the chapters, he recounts the fact uh, uh, that there were numerous prisoners that tried to escape, which is understandable. Because you see, unlike um, most prison systems, at least for the gulags uh, in Soviet Russia, uh, the gulags were largely filled with political prisoners. In other words, these were basically innocent people who ended up expressing an opinion that was at the slightest variance to Stalin's regime, and so they found themselves imprisoned, sometimes for decades. Solzhenitsyn himself was imprisoned because in a letter that he wrote to one of his fellow officers in the army, he expressed some disagreement with the policies of Stalin in the war and found himself immediately arrested and imprisoned. So naturally, many of these people try to escape from these brutal concentration camps. And given their remote locations, they were scattered through the the Russian Siberian wilderness. Escape was perhaps next to impossible, especially during the brutal winter months. So escapees would sneak out of prison and they had to hide Because even when they escaped, they couldn't count on the the villages to which they found themselves. They couldn't count on these people to protect them. Because what would happen is that the officials would go into town and say, if anybody has knowledge of the location of any of these escapees, we'll give you six months of supply of grain. 
And in a brutal Siberian uh, wilderness, six months of grain could mean the difference between life and death. And so naturally, these people for six months supply of grain would say, yeah, sure, the guy's right over there. And they would turn him over. So regardless of the prisoner's innocence or guilt, they were willing to betray their fellow countrymen and to ingratiate themselves with the government for the sake of personal gain. Well, King David found himself in a similar circumstance as he was on his, fleeing for his life uh, from Saul. And David fled to a region of Gibeah only to have <clears throat> the locals betray him. We read in 1 Samuel twenty three nineteen. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds of Horish on the hill of Hakaliah, which is in south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. So here, King Saul's looking for David, and they said to the king, Hey, he's hiding in these hills. If you come with us, we will give him over to you. We'll hand him over. In David's case, of course, we all know that Saul's pursuit of him was motivated by jealousy, by hatred, rather than any kind of justice. Saul was murderously pursuing him. Had the Ziphites tried to hand over a murderer or a criminal, we could say, well, then, of course, their actions would be warranted. But David's objections to Saul reveal his innocence. In 1 Samuel 26, verse 18 and following, why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is upon my hands? For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. So the Ziphites weren't pursuing justice. They just wanted to ingratiate themselves with the king in his murderous plot to to kill a righteous man. So their intentions were not noble. They were ennoble. Well, this brings us secondly on the face of his betrayal to David's prayer. When David found himself in the midst of his trial fleeing for his life, <clears throat> he did not seek the aid of his fellow countrymen. You know, though he was surrounded by a retinue of soldiers, he did not say, hey, I want you guys to protect me. He did not seek to forge military alliances with the Philistines in, in an effort to overthrow Saul. He did not try to assassinate Saul to eliminate the threat. How many of us would have said in this circumstance, hey man, this is self-defense. It's either him or me. And if I have a vote, it's going to be me that survives rather than him. He did not try to persuade to see, uh, the, the Ziphites to take a different course of action. In other words, <clears throat> let me bribe you so that you'll keep your mouth shut and whatever the king promises you, I'll pay you double. Who is the one to whom David cried out? He cried out to God in prayer. We see this in verses 1 through 3. Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Here these words confirm to us the true nature of the Ziphites as well as Saul. They were ruthless. And they had wicked intentions. 
Recall, for example, when David was on the run that the high priest Ahimelech assisted David by giving him uh, and his men the showbread and Goliath's sword. Ahimelech, I think, knew of David's innocence, and so he said, okay, I'm willing to help you. And how was Ahimelech repaid for his righteous act of assistance, uh, but rather by death? He was executed by Doeg the Edomite at the hands of Saul. And so in this case, the Ziphites betrayed David, and they revealed their ungodly motives. And so David cries out to God in prayer. He didn't seek his fellow men. He didn't seek alliances. He didn't seek might. He sought the Lord. And I think David's words should certainly encourage us to show us to whom we should turn in our times of trial, persecution, betrayal. He says in Psalm 54, verse 5, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies in your faithfulness. Put an end to them. He entrusts himself to the Lord and he says, Lord, take care of me. Punish my enemies. I entrust myself wholly to you. Now, I think that what we have to do at this point is I want us to look at David's prayer through the lens of the cross of Christ. Because in so doing, I think Christ sheds greater light upon the nature of David's prayer. Conversely, David sheds light upon Christ's own sufferings. And together, both David and Christ in their sufferings help us to understand the nature of our own sufferings as we are united to Christ. And that if you remember and think about it, David is not the Messiah, but he is a Messiah. He was an anointed one, anointed by Samuel, ultimately by God to be the king of Israel. And in this vein, we can say that David, in his life and in his sufferings, prefigures and gives us a shadowy image of the Messiah, Jesus, David's greater son and Lord. And so what I think we can see here in David's prayer and in his sufferings is a window into the very mind of Christ. Recall how Christ himself was betrayed by his own brothers. He was betrayed by his fellow Israelites. Those who should have upheld justice given his innocence and his righteousness. What does John say in the opening chapter of his gospel? In John chapter 1 verse 14, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. And where else do we find this rejection of Christ by his own countrymen spelled out so powerfully, yet so sadly, when we read in John 19, and they cried out when Pilate offered them, who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? And they said, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Of all things that the chief priest should have said. We have no king but Caesar. 
What is it that the author of Hebrews says in chapter 3, verse 12? Consider him who endured (coughs) from sinners such hostility against himself. The hostility that David received was a shadowy image of the hostility that Christ received against himself. And like David, when Christ was in the depths of his suffering, as he hung out upon the cross, to whom did he cry out? He cried out to his heavenly Father in Mark 15, 34, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He still cries out to God. My God, my God. And as he crossed that threshold from life to death in Luke 23, 46, to whom did he reach out? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He entrusted himself into the hands of his heavenly Father, the only one to whom he, uh, he could give himself, the only one whom he could trust. And so when we contemplate David's prayer, therefore, I think we have to do so through the cross of Christ. And from this vantage point, of the cross, we can better understand David's prayer, and I think we can better understand the sufferings of Christ. I think we can plumb the depths of David's betrayal from Calvary because from God's, by God's grace, we can have a better understanding of our own sufferings and betrayals. We know that in God's providential ordering of our lives that he has our sanctification in view. This means that we should not be surprised if we encounter suffering, or as in David's case, if we even encounter betrayal. Because what did Jesus tell us? He teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and following, Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think what Jesus is saying, and what we see here in Psalm 54, and we see, I think, quite clearly in the life of Jesus, though were it not that it was written in Scripture, we might not see it so clearly, is that in Christ's sufferings, what the author of Hebrews says is that he was learning obedience. The author of Hebrews says he learned obedience through what he suffered in Hebrews chapter 5. That has been a verse for the last several weeks that has just been thrust to the forefront of my mind. You know, I understand that my sufferings this month are mild in comparison with most. But I'm a girly man when it comes to suffering. My motto in life is no pain, no pain. Right? And as I've been in pain, been uh, uh, uncomfortable, uh, been, you know, having to reschedule things, whatever, I keep on telling myself, "You you are teaching me obedience through the things that I am suffering, through the things that you are ordaining and bringing into my life. Or to put it a finer point on it, to put a finer point on it, through the things that we suffer, God is conforming us to the image of his son. 
He is making us more like Christ. And I always say, oh Lord, I would love for you to make me more like Christ. In a real kind of, you know, to quote the eagles, peaceful, easy feeling. You know, just kind of, can we do this kind of just laid back? And it's a truth that, that has continued to press upon itself in my mind, is that I think that we probably forget most of the easy times. It's only the difficult things that end up writing themselves quite, quite boldly upon the memories of our minds. When I, you know, as a child, I cannot remember very much of my childhood. But the things that I do have a lot of memories of are all of my injuries. I remember sticking a key in an electrical socket when I was three. Blew me across the kitchen. It was shocking. (laughs) I can remember falling off a log and nearly poking out an eye. I can remember hanging on a on a ship's bell that was in our kitchen as the Thanksgiving turkey was coming out of the oven and saying, "Can I ring it?" And I hung on it, came down, pulled down on my head. Whole family off to the ER right before Thanksgiving. I could list all my injuries. I remember all of them. It's because they were intense moments. And I think what the Lord does is in these challenging moments, we remember them, and it's when we are weakest that He is strongest. It's not when we're strong and everything is going well that we're like, hey, this is great, thank you, Lord, although we certainly should be grateful for those times. It's when we're weakest. It's when we're in that great moment of fear. It's when we're in terrible pain. It's when we have betrayed, to, when we have no one else to whom we can turn that we finally say, oh, Lord, have mercy upon me. Deliver me from my foes. Deliver me from my pain. Deliver me from my circumstances. And this is why I think James can say in James 1, 2 and following, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness will have its full effect, that he may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, what James is saying is that these trials make you holier. These trials make you more like Christ. Which is what brings us to our third and final point, which is thanksgiving. In the midst of David's sufferings, he could look to the future and an as of yet unreceived vindication. In other words, he could see, I haven't received it. God will deliver me, but I'm going to give thanks for it. That takes a lot of guts if you think about it. Psalm 54, verses 6 and 7, With a free will offering I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from the, every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. <coughs> a free will offering was a sacrifice that the Israelites would give to the Lord as a spontaneous byproduct of your happiness, whatever the cause. Bumper crop, free will offering. Birth of a new child, free will offering. Financial windfall, free will offering. 
how on earth does David offer a free will offering in the midst of his sufferings, in the midst of his betrayal? In other words, David says, I know I'm in a pit. I've got ruthless men around me. But I offer up a free will offering because I'm filled with joy, not only because of where you have me, O Lord, but because you will deliver me. You will deliver me. And he's so certain that he recounts his deliverance in the past tense. You know, how many of you have ever said this, for example, if your wife says, you know, because there's an emergency, you got company coming over and, uh, you know, you're, you're out of something, you're out of flour, you're out of sugar, you're out of tortilla chips, whatever, and you're like, hey, they're going to be here in 10 minutes. I need you to go to the store and I need you to get it. And your husband responds, consider it done. You're out the door. You say, consider it done. You put it in the past tense. It's as good as done. That's what David is saying. For he has delivered me from every trouble and my eye has looked upon the triumph on my enemies. He says to the Lord, it's as good as done and I give you thanks. Even though he's in the midst of this ruthless band of men. I think this is the same pattern that emerges in Christ's willingness to entrust himself to his father's care in spite of his sufferings on the cross. Jesus knew that his father would vindicate him through his resurrection from the dead. The glory of the father was firmly in Christ's line of sight as he contemplated the cross. John 12, 27 and 28. Now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. He says, I know you can't deliver me from this. This is the very reason that I have come is for this suffering. Father, glorify your name. I know this is in my weakness. You will be glorified. And what does the Father say from heaven? Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. So this is why I think that in the midst of our sufferings and even our betrayals, we have to continually look to the cross of Christ. Because it's in the crucifixion that we find our redemption as well as the cruciform pattern for our sanctification. Through the various trials of our lives and especially the betrayals, God uses them as the furnace of our sanctification where he burns out the impurities of sin in our lives, where he burns out our proclivities to self-reliance, where he burns out our tendencies to try to seek the help of others when we should be seeking the help of God. And I believe this is why David could be thankful in the midst of his sufferings. He was looking to God to judge his enemies. He rejoiced and knew that God was sanctifying him in the midst of his trial. And so in all of this, beloved in Christ, we should recognize that when we find ourselves in suffering, it is the fertile ground of the cross of Christ is where we will find that we are on the cutting edge of our sanctification. And so in all of this, our prayer should be that we would all give thanks in the midst of our trials. I can't do it on my strength. And neither can you. And yes, maybe sometimes we have to grit our teeth and do it. 
but we should pray that God would give us the grace to give thanks in the midst of our trials. And in this vein, what we are doing is we are entrusting our lives into God's hands as Christ entrusted his life into his Father's hand. Hebrews 12, 3, Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself so that you would not grow weary or faint-hearted. Recognize that things are not out of God's control, but rather he has ordained your circumstances in your life for your greater conformity to Christ. In other words, again, he's got you right where he wants you. You are not one single millimeter off target. And in the light of cross, the Christ and his cross, we can therefore rejoice and give thanks. But remember, that ability will only come from the grace of God in Christ. It only comes through the gospel. And so draw near unto Christ so that he would give you that fountain of grace in the midst of your darkest hours. In the midst of David's betrayal, he called upon God to save him by his name. Rejoice that God has saved us by his name, Jesus In the words of John Newton, Dear name, the rock on which I build, my shield and hiding place, my never-failing treasury filled with boundless stores of grace. He has saved us and is saving us yet through the name of Jesus. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Oh, Father God, so often it feels as if you forget us in the midst of our sufferings. We can lie awake at night on our sick beds, Anxieties about the future can keep us up. We can stew over challenges that we find in our lives, O Lord, because of conflict. And we don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to say. Sometimes we don't even know what to think. O Lord, let us with David give thanks when we find ourselves at our wit's end. When we find ourselves at the end of our ropes and we have not even the strength to tie a knot that we might hold on. Oh Lord, in those darkest hours and in those difficult times, give us the grace that we need to give thanks. Because in the depths of those challenges, We know that we're in the furnace of our sanctification, as difficult as it may be, and that these times have come from you, and that you are using them to form and mold us more and more like Christ, that you are using them to show us how much we need you, so that when you deliver us, we would point to you and you alone as the source of our salvation as the source of our healing, as the source of our peace, of the source of our provision. O Lord, whether it's in times of plenty or in times of want, may we give thanks in all times. We pray, O Lord, that in so doing, you would glorify yourself by sanctifying us But at the same time, O Lord, as you sanctify us, even in the midst of these trials, fill our hearts with joy. Because even if we may be suffering, help us to know, O Lord, that you are conforming us to your holy image. 
and that you have us right where you want us. So in all of these things, O Lord, grant us the grace of Christ and help us to see our sufferings through the cross of Christ. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.